Dadhood. Modern Dadhood Podcast. Happy recording day, Mark. Oh, happy recording day, Adam. It feels good. I like being here with you. Yeah, 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 this feels, this feels good. Adam Flaherty, I'd like to introduce the show. May I? I grant you permission, but I mean, who am I? That's all that I need. This is Modern Dadhood, an ongoing conversation about the joys, the challenges, and the general insanity of being a dad in this moment. My name is Mark Checkett. I'm a dad to twin three and a half year olds. My name's Adam Flaherty. Uh, I am a dad to two daughters, seven and a half and four and a half. I gotta say, I loved the passion that you brought to that opening. You, I usually don't see that kind of energy from you. Oh, but see, it's because we didn't go right into it. We eased into it. I feel like I was channeling a little bit of, um, in the back of my mind was Peter Sagal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Today's guest is David Metzger a pediatric oncology nurse and the author of the book Nurse Papa, a new book, which uh, has an accompanying podcast of the same name, Nurse Papa. We'll welcome David into the conversation shortly. Man, my day has been kind of a roller coaster. Talk to me, man. It feels a little bit like a therapy session. Can I vent for a minute? I want nothing more. Actually, my workday was rather productive. Oh, that's good. But as soon as the girls got home, like the drama began. Mm. They are seven and a half and four and a half, and they are best friends, but they drive each other crazy. And particularly our seven and a half year old, she's in second grade and if you look at her the wrong way, she will like start to well up with tears. Oh man. And she's totally, she's brilliant, but she's totally irrational. And it's like, they'll be playing or sitting on the couch and one will like brush up the, against the other one by accident. And it just causes like chaos mm-hmm. and it's making me totally nuts. It's uh, I don't know what to do. It's I'm sure it's uh, tiring. It's tiring. And like, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Like they're in school all day, so they get home and they're exhausted. But when I feel like there's nothing that I can say or do that's going to de-escalate a situation, like Mm. literally any words that I say, just make it worse. It's like it it really screws with your head. What happens if you take the route of I'm just going to ignore this or try to fade away into the background and not say anything? Is that work at all. Yeah. I mean, I would love to just evaporate into thin air (laughs) (laughs) and just let the thing take its toll and then come back in when everybody's happy again. But man, I'm picturing Homer sinking into the hedge. (laughs) I just want to fade back into the edges. Right. But then like, you know, then it's bedtime and I'm, I'm laying, looking at a a book with my seven year old Mm -hmm. and we get each other laughing and it's like, we're both like laughing until like we're crying, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, all of that goes away. Yeah. I, it's just a roller coaster. Yeah. It's a great way to describe it. I feel like it's a word, not that I've experienced exactly what you are experiencing, but, but just recently my boys started getting, they've sort of learned what it means to do something by accident versus what it means to do something on purpose. 
Sure. Um, but they still don't, they don't read situations properly quite yet, but they go right there. Like, like you're saying, you know, one of them will brush up against the other just because they're one of them's walking into the kitchen and the other one's right. leaving the kitchen and they'll brush in, but they'll react as if they've just been stabbed with a hot poker, <laughs> yeah. you know, and yep. he'll spin around and go, you did that on purpose. (laughs) And there's tears just like flying out of his face. And then the other one was, I was an accident. And then it's like, it's hilarious, but it's also, uh, it's also a little exhausting because it happens so frequently and you want to try to take a minute to sort of help deescalate, but then also help sort of explain. But when it happens a hundred times before 7 a.m. That's the thing. Yeah. Like, I feel like we're, we're pretty good at trying to stay calm. We always want the girls to feel like we hear them and are willing to like, listen to them right. and reason with them. Right. And we want, you know, every situation to be fair and everybody to feel like they're hurt. But the, like when it's constantly happening, like how do you not let your temper grow too to the point where it's like, you're not even being helpful because you're just, bickering right along with them right well i mean and I, I also feel like there's maybe no shame in kind of looking your kids in the eye and saying i need a minute <laughs> that's what it is because yeah. like i what i do and the mistake that i make is i stop and i look them in the eye and i say you're being ridiculous right, right. now <laughs> but that doesn't help because that's no. like pointing a finger and saying like you are causing this problem yeah. i need to look them in the eye and say maybe we should all take some space from each other and just you know be alone for a few minutes yeah. if everybody's pissed and i'm pissed and i just let it be known that i'm pissed and that i got i'm going to go away for a minute i feel a little bit shitty because i feel like i should be better than that right. but i try to look at it like well i'm mad And I get mad. Everybody does. And if I can walk away and go out of sight for a minute and come back a lot more stable and centered, looking and feeling better, then I'm showing them a good way to maybe deal with their emotions. You know, they don't have to know that I went out to the front porch and hucked rocks into the (laughs) woods. They don't need to know that part of it. They just need to know that when I come back, I've got, you know, glassy eyes and a big smile on my face. And, and a little bit of color in your cheeks. Yeah. yeah. I know it's a phase that'll probably only last until they're both, you know. 20. Yeah. In their 20s. It, it's just a different. Uh, it's a the, the roller coaster is a different scale right now. Yeah, I'm sure as they get older, the problems, the actual problems will become legitimate. And I'll, as a dad, be dealing with a whole new level of stress and anxiety. But right now, uh, I guess I just need to feel grateful that the drama is about, you know, who took my nail polish or whatever. Yeah, that's a good way to sort of reflect on that, though, you know, and. Yeah, it's like you just go from one theme park to another. Is that what happens? Right. You know, like yes. there's a certain age you kind of go, you're on like the teacups ride, you know. It's the uh, the town carnival right now. Yeah. <laughs> few more years, it'll be a Six Flags. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A few you're, more years after that, it's going to be Universal Studios Islands of Adventure. You're, you're on the rides that showed up to your town in the back of an 18-wheeler and that some totally unqualified person hobbled together overnight. And they're rickety 
and sometimes they get a little out of control. <laughs> but you know that they're going to be packed up and they're going to move on at the end of summer. And reassembled in some other town. Yeah. Well, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm on a roller coaster. I hope you can get off the roller coaster soon and just go get um, some funnel cake. Thanks, Doc. Anytime. All right, look, Mark. I'm going to be real with you here, all right? David Metzger is about to join the session. David Metzger? So I'm going to cue up a little music sting, and then I say we bring him in. And I'm going to lean on you to set this up with a little intro, okay? Please don't screw it up. Sure. Do you trust me? David is a nurse in the pediatric oncology department at UCSF Children's Hospital. He's a dad to two children. Uh, He's the brain behind Nurse Papa the Podcast and an author of the recently published book of the same name. David, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Adam, Mark, thanks for having me. Congratulations on the new book. It's really exciting. I would love for you to start before we get into sort of the book and the podcast. Maybe you could just tell us a little bit about your family and, you know, who you are as a dad, first and foremost. Yeah, I do have two kids. Uh, I have a four-year-old boy who's actually turning five um, in about seven days, and we have the same birthday. So I have a six-year-old daughter. And, you know, who am I as a dad? Um, It's an evolving thing for me. I feel like to be a parent, you always have to be changing yourself and with your kids. And, you know, being a parent has, it's always um, shooting from the hip for me. And in in that way, it's been really exciting and horribly difficult at the same time. (laughs) Shooting from the hip sounds very familiar. And I don't know about you, but sometimes my aim is really bad. Yep. All right. So, David, what compelled you to write this book? Was there a particular uh, moment in time where you sort of thought, oh, I need to write a book? Or was this a long sort of drawn out, you know, you were acquiring little tidbits and little stories here and there. And over time, you just thought maybe I could put it together in something like a book. I mean, it was definitely a long drawn out process, um, you know, from the start to end. It took me five years to finish it up. But there was a clarifying moment where I realized that a story needed to be told. I'm a pediatric oncology nurse, so I take care of kids with cancer. And I was uh, taking care of this young man who I accepted as a patient earlier that day. And, you know, he came in for um, a liver transplant. That was supposed to be like his new lease on life. He was going to hopefully say goodbye to being a chronically ill person and have a new life. And it turns out, you know, before that could occur, the doctors found like a giant tumor wrapped around his liver. Oh, so man. his reality was just completely changed. Not only was he not going to get his transplant, he was going to die. You know, we encounter this all the time where we work. It's, you know, this, these existential crises that these kids and their parents face. And, you know, we're used to it, but they're not. And he totally shut down this kid. He was 15. Uh, his name was Jason. And over the course of two weeks, he, he really became just the pain. That's, that's the face he presented to the world. And it was so hard for me to break through. And I was often the nurse who was taking care of him. You know, he had like this cadre of family around him. There was always a niece or nephew under the bed and an uncle and aunt sitting in the corner. It was almost like this family reunion, except 
They weren't there to catch up and eat hot dogs. They were there to watch this boy die. As a nurse, we do our, at least for me as a nurse of kids, of children, I do my best to to kind of find them in the place they're at and be with them in that place because we're not just taking care of bodies, we're taking care of souls and hearts. And it was really hard for me to find a place where I could relate to Jason because he wasn't letting us in and he didn't want to let, let anybody in. Hmm. You know, the only time he ever spoke was just a whisper into his dad's ear. And, you know, you always felt like there was a secret conversation happening. In any case, um, you know, about a week before he passed away, I somehow convinced him to let me give him a bath, you know, cause he's this 15 year old kid. Like what could seem like more annoying and less important than taking a bath at that point. Right. You just want to be there. But there was something that happened during that time. There was like this forced intimacy where we like were able to see each other. You know, he saw me for the first time and somehow I saw him for the first time. And it just like chilled me to the bone to like be able to be so close to somebody and to be vulnerable with them at the same time. And I remember we were in his room about an hour after that, and it was dark. It was so quiet. You could hear the humming of the medication machine. And I was charting, just kind of watching him because he was having some oxygen problems. And then all of a sudden he said, David, and he had never said my name before. I don't think he even saw me as a person, but he said, David, do you have a cat? And I said, Jason, um, yeah, we do have a cat, but we also have a toddler. So the cat does not get much attention these days. And then Jason said, we have cats too, but one of them got sick and we had to put her down. Mm. And I said, Jason, that's so sad. I'm really sorry that, about your cat. And he said, it's okay, David, because if you love cats, you have to get used to them dying. And I kept hearing mm. those words in my head over and over again until he died about a week later. And it was so clear to me that he was talking about himself and he was talking about life and that if you love life, you got to be okay with dying because that's part of life. I walked away from that moment, like so sure that other people needed to see and hear kind of what mm -hmm. happened between these walls. And that's, that's how the book started. <sighs> yeah. Sorry, <All> right. guys. <laughs> <laughs> we've had, we've had some heavy conversations on this podcast, but I got to say that story is so powerful. I mean, thank you for sharing that. I think it takes a, a, a special kind of person, a special kind of provider to go into the field of oncology and to work with cancer patients, but specifically working with children. What sort of led you into that, that career path? It was a complete accident, actually. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't know what would fulfill me. I, I definitely knew what would not fulfill me. You know, before I was a nurse, I was a sculptor and I had a business with a few friends and we, you know, we made really beautiful things, but it wasn't really filling my cup as far as being a person in this world and being able to have a, a true effect on other people. So I decided to go to nursing school, but I really had no idea if it would be a good thing for me. And um, I remember on the first day of my pediatric rotation, and I walked into this room and this nurse said, can you please stay with this child? I didn't know what to do with this child. So I just picked her up and I started singing a song that I'd been working on in my ukulele. And all of a sudden she stopped crying. And it was that in that moment where I knew that I needed to be a pediatric oncology nurse. You know, it was one of those very clarifying moments where that I'm so grateful for because, you know, it's not very often that people get that opportunity to know what they're meant to do. 
And if you know where you're supposed to be, you can work hard to get there and work hard to be good at what you're doing. Yeah, it has, we, we have started off on a pretty serious note, but I do want to say your podcast, you do a really good job at in, injecting humor into some of the stories that you tell. And is that something that's important to you in your life when you're, I don't know, going home at the end of the day and maybe it was a particularly difficult day and, and you've got to sort of digest what happened throughout the day and now switch modes to being a, at home and being a dad and being a husband is, is, is humor a, a part of making that transition for you? I mean, humor is the way we deal with things that are hard for me. The, the funniest things are not knock, knock jokes, although those are pretty good, but they, <laughs> are kind of admitting what is messed up in the world and kind of sitting with that reality. As a oncology nurse, I'm used to being the most positive person in the room. I mean, I think that's the kind of person that's drawn to pediatric oncology. You know, you tend to find the positive things in life and the amount of humor and laughter and joy that I encounter working with sick kids and their parents is unbelievable. I feel like I just bounce between rooms, just enjoying these personalities learning from them and laughing with them. You know, there's this sensation of listening to a child through your stethoscope and you hear their lungs and you hear their heart and you hear their stomach gurgling, but you also hear their giggles and their laughs. And I think people sometimes forget that even when a kid is sick, even when they're dying, they're still living and they're still kind of growing and growing into themselves and bumping off, off of things and learning how to be kids, even if that means that it's going to be a short life. And there's such a incredible amount of humor that goes into that process. Uh -huh. You know, as far as like how I make that transition from being at work to being at home, um, it is sometimes an incredibly graceless process. And that's, you know, a grave injustice to my kids and to my wife often. But, you know, I think that I do them a service by showing them that I'm a person too. Um, but yeah, laughter, it's all about laughter. You know, I have another story that occurs in the book and it's in a chapter called The Ghost Fart. So, you know, a colleague told me this story. And, you know, it was about a teenager that she took care of. And, you know, it was the kind of room where everybody was always laughing. You know, they really kind of were in touch with who they were and what they meant to each other. And they were just a funny, funny family. You know, there was always jostling going back and forth between the, the patient who was a teenage boy. But he was a big guy. He was like... Six, six, and he was just kind of like a big teddy bear. And his, it was his stepdad in the room. And, you know, they weren't, they were like father and son. There was no, there was no step there. They were just connected. And my, my friend Kate was in the room late, late night taking labs. And she told me that she kind of had stomach problems at nighttime. So she farted on accident. And she was just <laughs> hoping nobody would smell it. You know, it was one of those oh, silent man. farts. <laughs> okay. And lo and behold, the patient woke up and he said, dad, did you fart? And the dad said, no, man, that was you. I did not fart. And the son said, no, that was you. And then the dad said, mm, I think it was your nurse. And she played off. She's like, oh, you boys are so gross. I would never do that. And, you know, she cleaned up her labs and, and left the room. And two weeks later, this boy died the boy's mom called Kate to the hospital and she said, just be with my son. Because when, when a 
patient dies, a pediatric patient, you know, we often bathe their body and, you know, there's this, this just ritual of respect and remembrance. And she wanted Kate to be with her boy and to bring him down to the morgue. And she wanted Kate to be with him. She didn't want him to be alone. So she did it. She cared so much. She wanted, she came in on her day off and she was with this boy. And then, you know, a few weeks later, she went to the funeral, which is also something that she does not do, but she went and she saw the mom and she gave her a hug. And then she saw the dad and he also just pulled her into this giant bear hug. And she thought he feels just like his son, just this big giant bear. And the dad brought his face close to her ear and he whispered, Kate, I know it was you. (laughs) I know you farted. And it was just this moment where, you know, it's just like humans being human and just like how you, she said, how, how can you joke about a fart at your son's funeral? And he just could, because that's what he would have wanted. You know, there's so many funny things that happen. And the book is full of those things, those stories that just kind of break your heart and break your soul at the same time, but make you laugh. That's, that's a, that's a very funny story. Yeah. I mean, that relationship between nurse and patient, it's common. You know, we take care of these kids and we get to know them so well. Like, and then when these kids die, you know, it's being able to hold on to these funny moments though, and being able to laugh about it, that I think kind of strength, strengthens these connections. Where in the timeline of your career did your kids come into the picture? How long were you into your, your career when your, when your kids came along? I was about six years in. What was that like? Did having kids of your own change the way that you went about your day at work? Did it change things for you in your career? I mean, it was nothing and everything, you know, I have to say that I made a fundamental shift when I had kids, not only in the obvious ways, I was exhausted, (laughs) Um, you know, but also like I, you learn so much more about kids when you actually have them in your house. It's funny. I could tell you lots of things about what a child with cancer is supposed to look like, but before I had kids, I had no idea what a normal child was supposed to look like. Hmm. So you, you know, you end up running into these weird situations where you're like, I don't know what to do. I am a highly trained pediatric oncology nurse and I don't know what to do <laughs> yeah. in this situation. And that is so humbling. I've definitely like called colleagues of mine who have older kids and like, uh, my child is like coughing and this is what's happening. And she's like, okay, take her to the hospital. She's got croup. So it's, <laughs> yeah, there was that, that obvious education of kind of just learning what normal kids do. But, you know, the more subtle thing, transformation that happened was, from feeling sympathy for these families, these kids and their parents, to feeling true empathy. You can feel, feel very sorry for a child who has cancer or, or who is sick, and you can mourn for their parents in a way that is not necessarily connected to them. But when you can truly put yourself in that situation, it is so empowering for you and them, and it really just changes the way you interact with them. I mean, I'm always talking about my kids. I love my kids. I'm proud of them. They, you know, they're always on my mind. So I often bring them up. And I think when parents hear that their nurse has a child and often a child that's the same age as, you know, their child in the hospital, it's like a calling card. It's like a, hey, you have kids, you know how they are. I trust you. <laughs> we're in this together. Yeah. We're in we this together. This in common. Yeah. You know, we're in this, in this together in our confusion, in our admittance that, 
this is a crazy journey and that we don't always have to know what's going on, but we're there, you know, we're there together in the same place. It's a great gift. I feel so much more empowered and so much more ready to do my job because I also am a father. Obviously with cancer care, the technology is changing. The science is updating. Um, things are constantly improving. More research is being done. But also from a patient perspective, there seems to be this movement in the last, I don't know, you would know better than I would, but you know, I've noticed it in the last seven or eight years that patients are just becoming much more involved in advocating for themselves throughout the, the process of being cared for uh, by providers. What are some of the changes that you've seen? Or, or I guess maybe, maybe the question is, have you seen changes in that time in your specific area of practice that have improved both patient outcomes and the type of care that they're receiving? Yeah, I think it's so important to listen to patients um, and how we engage with them on their own terms, you know, is crucial. I can't say that I've seen a particular development in the field and, you know, in the short time that I've been a pediatric oncology nurse, which is only 13 years, because I feel like, you know, it's, it's a special place and, you know, the doctors always take care to, to listen to patients and listen to their parents. But what I have seen, which is really interesting, is a doctor or young nurse come to the field and you know, slowly learn over the course of five years how to relate to patients in a way that's truly effective. You know, you see these things on a very micro way with individuals. So that's really special. And, you know, with myself, you know, there's definitely been a trajectory where I've learned how to listen to the patients in a way that is most conducive to like a, a healthy environment. Dads, you can find Nurse Papa, the podcast, on all major platforms, anywhere you can find Modern Dadhood. You can check out Nurse Papa, the book, at nursepapathebook.com. And on Amazon. <laughs> you could also find it on Amazon. And we'll include links to David Metzger's social media accounts in the show notes. Now, uh, David, you shared with us that you love to hear from parents about what reading Nurse Papa meant to them, what they got out of the book. What's the best way for them to reach out to you? Um, well, you can reach me at david at nursepapathebook.com. But yeah, just being able to hear from readers how this book affected them would be such a service to me. David, um, it's been a pleasure. Um, your stories are fascinating. Um, I can't wait to read the book. Um, I love the podcast and I'm a, I'm, I'm a listener and I'm going to keep listening. Uh, thank you so much for coming on to Modern Dadhood and for, for the conversation. Mark, Adam, thanks so much. It was a Great conversation. Thank you. Um, I might have a so that's a thing now. But, well, I mean, do you have one and you're just doubting whether it's good or not? Well, all I have, a lot of times when I write these down, I sort of, I'll, you know, I'll say, here's the, here's the thing. And then I'll provide an explanation for myself for when I come back to it. But uh, but all I wrote was the all I wrote was this the Ina do it phase. Mm, like do it myself. Yeah. Yeah. Like we, don't do this for me. Yeah. Ina do it myself. Ina do it.
no, I'm going to do it. No, I'm going to do it. And it's, it's with many, many things that when you let them do it, there will be a mess, total mess. And it's, and, and, and it's cute, right? Because they're turning a corner, you know, into this new world of self-sufficiency, which is great. And I want them to go around that corner and just run so that I don't have to do everything for them. But it comes at times that are often where it's like, but okay, but if I did it, we'd be done. We'd be all having a lot of fun way faster. Yeah. Yeah. We'd be out the door and gone, but you to do it. And we're going to watch you try to put socks on for 10 minutes. Yeah, and you just have to sit there, like, trying to force yourself into an out-of-body experience <laughs> just to, like, get through the 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, I tend to, how, I tend to just I do, survive? I tend to just do, like, laps around the house when these things, when these things happen. Sometimes I have the patience for it. Like, tonight, we, we were making, uh, uh, we were making tots. Big surprise, I know. Yeah, Check It Family loves their tater tots. And these are smiley tots, so they come in little, in little, like, smiley Faces. Oh, they're like almost hash browns or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they're 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 a, an absolute laugh riot, and they're tasty. And uh, <laughs> laugh. <laughs> Let me guess. Can I guess what happened? What happened? Unna do it. <laughs> but what are they gonna? What are they unna do? Uh, I don't know. Arrange them on the baking sheet. <laughs> in this case, uh, we make a very special sauce in this house. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of this before, but you take ketchup and mayonnaise, you mix it together. Okay. Yeah. I think that, uh, Heinz recently, um, yeah, they do trademark that takes just totally strips the magic out of it. When you, when you do that, uh, they call it Mayo chup. Yeah. It's it's not something else. No, that is, it's something exactly like that, which is not even, I mean, that's the first idea. (laughs) you never go with the first idea fucking you guys can do better than this you can do better give it a new name you're high you can call it anything yeah but uh one of my sons in particular the other one of my sons is like i don't want to see ketchup or mayonnaise anywhere near my plate but the other one will eat a bowl of just pink sauce i mean he loves his condiments yeah and uh I was, you know, I knew that he would be into it, making it himself. I knew, I knew that Ina do it would come. And so <laughs> I just preempted it and gave him the bowl and put everything out. And I was like, come on, buddy, it's time to make pink sauce, you know, and I was ready for it. So it took a long time and it was, there was ketchup and mayonnaise everywhere. We went through somehow like four spoons, you know, uh, that's almost a, a, did I just say that out loud in it, in and of itself? Come on, buddy. It's time to make pink sauce. Like, what the hell? Yeah. 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 And and, and he was busy playing with magnetiles at the time. And he still just like hopped up Boom. and ran over to start making pink sauce. Um, mm-hmm. I wish I had the patience for every time that, no, I don't do it, you know, mm-hmm. comes. But how is his blending? When he was done, did you have to give it some extra stirs because there were still some some red and some white? He did. He did great. And here's the thing, because there was actually a moment where he showed me. He goes, he goes, look, I'm done stirring. And my first thought was, you know, come on, you could do better than that. You know, <laughs> OK. Yeah, and I judgmental, went, yeah, yeah. And I went 
to grab the bowl. But then I looked at his face and he was so like, he just had this big smile on his face. He was happy. He was like proud of the color. You know, he was like, it's pink. And I pulled my hand back and was like, no, it's perfect. You did a great job, dude. You did. It's great. Let's eat. You're a good dad. In that moment. (laughs) (laughs) I was an okay dad. I mean, look, we're still serving my kids tater tots and ketchup and mayonnaise. <laughs> this is true. This is anyway, true. Yeah, that's a that's a thing now that's going around pretty pretty hard. Uh, the I, I, do, the it. I do it. Dads, you can find Modern Dadhood anywhere you listen to your podcasts or at moderndadhood.com. And when you do go to listen, why don't you why don't you find a subscribe button and uh, click it. You could also leave us a little rating and a review, maybe over at Apple Podcasts. Oh, and tell a friend. Word of mouth is so important to us, and it's probably, arguably, the best way that people find out about Modern Dadhood. We would invite you to drop us a line at hey, H-E-Y, at moderndadhood.com if you have any suggestions or have anything you want to share with us at all. And just like we do in every episode, we want to send out a few important thank yous. The first one being to Casper Baby Pants. The second one being to Spencer Albee. The third one being to Pete Morse at Red Vault Audio. <laughs> the fourth one being to, in this case, David Metzger for hanging out with us and uh, chatting Nurse Papa. And the final thank you goes to you. To me? No. Nope. Oh. To the listener. Listener.